today we're going to be focusing on the topic of self-compassion. So dad, to kind of frame the conversation, why is self-compassion important and why should I care about it? Right, because it's hard actually for many, many people to bring a quality of self-compassion to themselves, even though research shows that it's really helpful. So compassion, if you give it, calms the body and lowers stress. And if you receive compassion from others, that uh, builds up your sense of worth and your ability to bounce back from setbacks mm-hmm. and difficulties. Mm-hmm. Well, if you give yourself compassion, you get both of those benefits of giving and receiving. That's pretty good. Actually, self-compassion is very foundational for people to cope and succeed. People who are uh, more self-compassionate are, for example, more willing to take risks in business. They tend to be more successful over the long haul because they're more willing to risk failure. Uh, Because if they fail, they figure, well, bummer, drag, I'm going to do the best I can to do better next time. But they don't keep beating themselves up about it so that there's a huge cost in failure. Because the cost of failing uh, in, in, in an emotional sense is lower, with self-compassion, people are more willing to uh, take appropriate risks in their lives. You can take a big swing. Yeah. Because you're not as worried about right. striking out or you're not worried yeah. about something really horrible happening. Yeah. So how is that kind of distinct from just being on your own side, which we talked about last time? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. And what is the difference between the two? And mm-hmm. for me, being on your own side has this kind of muscular, primal quality to it. Okay. Compassion, it's softer, it's it's more tender. Uh, people tend to squirm a little bit sometimes about the idea of compassion, but self-compassion is not wallowing. It's not self-pity in the negative sense of that. Self-compassion is where you start when you've been knocked down, not where you stop. I think that it's tough for people sometimes to draw that distinction between just being somebody who's kind of whiny and somebody who's delivering like an appropriate level of compassion for their own suffering. You know, we all have Mm -hmm. suffering, bad things happen to all of us. The question is kind of like what happens Mm -hmm. next, right? And that's a really fine line to walk. And it's particularly, I think, interpersonally, a really fine line to walk where you want to have people be kind to you and you want to be kind to yourself, but you also don't want to come across as a whiner. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if that's just kind of me opining for a second. No, I think you're totally right. Compassion is warm. There's a warmth to it. Mm -hmm. And if you think about people or oneself getting into a big, long complaining mode, often there's an irritable tone Mm -hmm. to the complaint. Exasperation, frustration, irritation. It's not particularly warm. And also, often people complain because they're seeking warmth from others. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of like uh, they keep knocking on the door till the door opens. Mm-hmm. And if the thing we all want, which we do, again, a lot of research shows this, including on child development, if we want to feel seen, mm-hmm. if we want to feel heard, and we want to feel that others care about us, that's most fundamental. After that, we're into the details. But yeah. Those are very fundamental. So when we actually feel that, we stop complaining, typically. We may want to assert ourselves. Yeah, we may want to speak up for ourselves in some way. So when we receive from others the feeling that we fundamentally matter as a being, we tend to chill out and move on. And in the same way, if you can give yourself that feeling, yeah, your existence matters. You're not the most important person in the universe, but you still matter in some way. 
and you you bring that kind of warmth for yourself and you have a few seconds because that's usually about as long as it happens most of the time you give yourself a few seconds of sort of nurturing warmth and caring well you yourself feel that from the inside and that also tends to reduce complaining if you're having a difficulty with somebody else and you feel like someone's being a whiner mm -hmm. you know maybe it's in a intimate relationship or maybe it's just you're at the office and somebody keeps on stopping by your desk and they just won't stop complaining about like something their boss did that day. Yeah. So you're kind of suggesting that the fastest way to kind of get them to stop bugging you yeah. is actually not by saying, you know, I'm busy, go away. Mark, go away. You're a whiner. You're, yeah, exactly. The implicit communication, yeah, yeah. shut up, you're a whiner. Um, the yeah. fastest way to get them to kind of leave you alone is actually by having sort of a moment of joining with. Yeah. And it's like jujitsu in a sense. Mm -hmm. And obviously people could use their superpowers for evil, mm -hmm. uh, but the fundamental basis for this kind of jujitsu is moral. I mean, we, we do it out of benevolence, mm -hmm. and but also it's enlightened self-interest. You're exactly right. The fastest way to get someone to stop talking at you sure. is to listen to them deeply. Yeah. Occasionally, mm -hmm. people will keep going on and on, partly because finally, it's sort of like they were dying of thirst in their own experience, yeah. and they find an oasis, someone, someone who's going to listen to them. Mm -hmm. But if truly you sustain your attention to someone fully for a minute or three or five at the absolute max, then you're on a very solid basis to say to someone, hey, I, I really hear you, and I have to get back to work. Yeah, absolutely. And so similarly, if you kind of give yourself that level of attention for a period of time, you're kind of activating self-compassion in that way and your your body stops being such a like I I mean maybe I'm I'm taking this a, a step too far here, but I know that I've definitely had many of cycles in my life where I've kind of gotten trapped in rumination about something mm -hmm. where my brain was kind of on the hamster wheel. Yeah. And I just keep on chugging along and I have a hard time getting out of a cycle of thought. Mm -hmm. Um and of course, along with that is often an experience of why can't you get outside of the cycle of thought? Oh, right. Double you know? whammy. Yeah, exactly. Like you're why why can't I yeah. just get over it? Why is this hard for me? I keep on telling myself to do a thing and I just can't do the thing. So similarly, you're suggesting that if I had been or if in the future I were able to kind of activate that real um feeling of my own experience for a little while, that would help me break that cycle. Is that more or less accurate? Yeah. And I offer it as, in a sense, a hypothesis. Sure. Like just yeah. about everything we say here, check it out, mm -hmm. try it out. That's something that's really nice about this kind of material. You can, you are, it is okay to do this at home, kids. Yeah. Try it on your own. <laughs> and what I think you'll find is that when you give yourself that moment, really, literally for a breath or two or three, of really feeling what's going on in a frame of warmth and nurturance, for yourself, I think you'll find that there's a natural process, in, and others will find too, there's a natural process in which after you do that, it's kind of like you then take a breath and start to gather yourself, find your footing, and then propel yourself forward. Can I say one more thing about rumination? Yeah, absolutely. 
Rumination, as you know, comes from uh, what cows do. They chew their cud. They process. They are ruminators. <laughs> That's literally the name of the class of animals they belong to. Ruminants. Okay, I had no idea. It's amazing. So you just think you're chewing your cud. It really makes it visceral, doesn't it? And I'm sure we'll talk more about rumination down the road. The comment I just make right now yeah. is that very often people ruminate. They start looping in their mind. They obsess about things. They go over things round and round and round. Could be anxious rumination. Could be resentful rumination. Could be self-critical rumination. Whatever it may be, very often the function of the rumination is to enable someone to not experience something that they're afraid of experiencing. Hmm, They could be afraid of experiencing it mainly unconsciously, but... What the rumination is about, in a sense, is to avoid feeling something fully. The problem with that is that if you don't feel it fully, it keeps knocking on your door. Yeah, okay. It, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joke, I say the, the this is a little gross, but the mind is not like a flush toilet. It's more like a septic tank. What you shove <laughs> sure. sticks around. That's a good metaphor. And it does not leach into the ground either. It's there. Yeah. And then Freud had a great phrase about that. He called it the return of the repressed. It keeps pushing its way forward. Mm-hmm. So rumination, it's interesting. If, uh, if you just sort of watch it in your own mind and you start to realize, okay, what would happen if I stopped ruminating and I asked myself, what do I feel most fundamentally? What do I feel in my body? What are the emotions? What's the deeper material? What you often find is that when you get in touch with it, it, flood, it floods through you. It moves through you. To be able to feel it, it really helps to have self-compassion yeah, for yourself. Yeah, because the self-compassion creates kind of like a soft landing pad mm-hmm. to experience those yeah, that's often right. unpleasant yeah. or not ideal feelings. It's not like you're there being joyous or whatever. You're dealing with material that's been building up for a little while. Yeah, it's a little bit like the jujitsu with that annoying person at work who keeps complaining mm-hmm. about things. In a sense, the jujitsu with yourself is to stop resisting what wants to be experienced. Let it be experienced fully. It helps to have resources to be able to do that, like self-compassion. And if you watch your own mind when you do this, you'll see an amazing thing much of the time. There's a kind of flow through you, relief, and then then your mind gets quieter and the rumination fades away. That's, that's really partly, yeah, and that's partly important because rumination sucks. I mean, it is bad for you. <laughs> sure. There's research again that shows that peop, the more people tend to ruminate, the more their mood tends to be anxious and depressed. Mm. And it also takes you out of the present moment and makes it harder to deal with the real situation you're in. Rumination is a major mental health risk factor. Yeah, I don't think I can remember a time where I've been particularly happy while ruminating about something like that's kind of a tough combination of things i mean and that's obviously what we're talking about is different than reflecting back daydreaming about a positive experience or whatever it might be so how do we develop it how do we get better at self-compassion first really understand that developing more compassion for yourself mainly for the everyday hassles of daily life being stuck in traffic being annoyed with someone your back hurts the, it doesn't have to be for horrible, horrible agony, first point. Second point, uh, to develop it, now that you understand why you're trying to do it, because mm-hmm. it makes you tougher, it makes you stronger, and it also makes you happier. I think that there are different ways to develop self-compassion. Uh, there are people who've researched this a lot and written about it. Kristen Neff mm-hmm. and Christopher Germer, Mark Leary, 
other people that like that in the academic sphere, which who also have lots and lots of practical material. They're good to check out, and I'm drawing here on, on their work. Uh, for myself, I uh, encourage people to develop self-compassion in three simple steps that I have seen work again and again with people. I do it myself. In the very first step, uh, just start by priming your own palm, by bringing to mind what it feels like to be with someone who cares about you. It doesn't have to be the greatest relationship in the world. It could be someone who's friendly at the coffee place you get your coffee. Uh, it could be someone who's no longer alive, or maybe it's a group of people you were part of when you were younger, whatever it might be. Or in your life today, you have a sense that they care about you. Uh, they include you. They see you. They like you. Maybe they even love you. They appreciate you. What's that feel like? So as studies have shown, if we um, prime our internal pumps by the feeling of receiving love or caring or relationship experiences, then it's easier for us to give it. So that's the first step. Second step, now that your heart is primed and open and warm, all the heartfelt, uh, bring to mind someone that it's easy to care about yourself, especially that it's easy to feel compassion for. So a friend. A friend in need, maybe a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might visualize a a pet with a wounded foot. Perhaps people around the world or at home who belong to groups of people that have been mistreated Mm -hmm. or impoverished, uh, famine victims, refugees, uh, whatever it might be for you. And then as you bring that person to mind, it could be non-human animals, uh, as you bring that being to mind or group of beings, uh, start to deliberately mobilize a feeling of compassion for them, which is essentially a sensitivity to their suffering, an empathy for it, a feeling for it. You let yourself be touched. And there's a sense of wishing that things could be better and related to that, a desire to help if you can. If you cannot help, the compassion is still real. It still matters. But there's a natural inclination to lean toward those who are in pain. Okay, so then in this second step, uh, doing it with someone that's easy for you, really know what compassion feels like in your body, the emotion of it, the mental attitudes of it. You could put a hand on your heart to strengthen the experience. Again, research supports this technique. And then moving into the third step, once you know what compassion feels like and you're really rested in it, then apply that attitude toward yourself. Mm-hmm. Get a sense of just your own difficulties, your own stresses, your own weariness, your own unfulfilled longings, your own frustrations, your own physical pain, perhaps, and your own difficult situation. And in particular, though, mobilize uh, a supportive, caring Um, attitude toward yourself. Compassion is sort of bittersweet. There's a sense of the pain that's present, but mostly it's sweet. Mm -hmm. Mostly there's Mm -hmm. a caring, supportive, nurturing, uh, loving quality to it. And then uh, deliberately, uh, you can do things in your mind if you want to, to strengthen that sense of self-compassion with soft thoughts. You might literally think to yourself, may I not suffer? or I wish this were better, or may this pain pass. You don't have to think those thoughts, but they can help you to do that. And you might also have a sense to finish up here that com- that compassion for yourself is sort of has a pulsing quality or moves out sort of like waves from you. Uh, and then along the way, as a bonus to really finish, 
You can even get a sense of receiving compassion into yourself. Because deep down in the basement of your brain, as it were, it does not know what the source of an experience is. Hmm. So when you're having this experience of tender, supportive, caring attitude toward your own difficulties, when you have that experience in your brain, it doesn't matter whether you are having it because someone outside of you was giving you compassion or because you generated it yourself. And so you can receive that into yourself, that sense of warmth and compassion coming for you, hardwiring it over time into the fabric of your own nervous system, building up the inner resource of self-compassion more and more over time from the inside out. In all that is that is a larger point, I'm sure we'll talk about more in this podcast, which is this basic idea that the key is to get the experience going, whatever the source may be, and then take it into yourself. I think that that was a really good summary of the importance of self-compassion with we started with. Um, We got into a little conversation about some of the problems people can have with excessive rumination, both inside their own selves and in terms of having an experience with somebody else where the other person, quote unquote, just won't stop talking about something. And how can you use self-compassion to kind of short that circuit and break out of those cycles, both internally and with the other person? And then you gave some really great tips at the end um, for developing a greater sense of self-compassion and really compassion generally, because at the beginning of that practice you gave, you have to start with being compassionate for something else. And if you can think of that empathic creature outside of yourself, you know, being whatever it might be, um, and then apply those same feelings to yourself, you have a very reliable way to generate that experience kind of regardless of circumstance. Super well said. All right, great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you.